Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion Winning. is to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, crucial role is high fit. Compassion, great passion, fiction, gold. ultimate goal. Glory, relentless training, pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to another epic episode of The Row Show. As always, it's myself, Lawrence Britton, and with me. It's Jake Green, and we are very excited today to be bringing you Imogen Grant from the uh, Great Britain rowing team. And we've had a few and far between rows from Great Britain, so it's really cool to get you know another athlete to you know, come onto the podcast and a lightweight as well. And that's another you know sort of demographic that we've been really um, wanting to get hold of uh, some more lightweight rows. And Imogen is is quite a you know she's made quite a name for herself this year and a veteran from the Olympics last year where she came away with a fourth place in the lightweight women's double in a really, really close race. And that's a, that's a race that I would encourage you to listen to maybe before the start of this interview. And I think it will give you a, a pretty good un- understanding of uh, the kind of athlete and the event that she races in. I'll give you quite a lot of context for the, for the interview. Hey, Lawrence. Yeah, Jake, I think you touched on a few uh, really key points that make this interview and this episode of our show uh, a really, really special one. I think, the, as you said, the fact that we haven't had that many British athletes, so it was really cool to to dig into the British team, uh, see a little bit more of you know the machine that is uh, British rowing and how it's able to just churn through athletes and you know quality performances after quality performances and the the high caliber of uh, you know the standard that they try and uh, set there um in gb so that was i think uh, on its own just a really really cool point and then the fact that imogen is from the the lightweight girls double the gladiator event gladiator of the event. tokyo olympic cycle i thought was it was so cool and i mean jake said there go watch that race it's absolutely brutal it's probably one of the hardest rowing races to watch um, you know, unless you are an Italian, I think that might be one of the <laughs> hardest rowing races to watch, you know, uh, of all time. It's just so much action happening down the track. It, there's nothing in it at any point of the, the race, and it all comes down to the last stroke or two of the, the race. So um, I think that's definitely go watch that race uh, before you watch this um, this in, this interview. But then going back to, to Imogen, what a pleasure having her on the show. She was such an incredible uh, athlete to chat to, and I, I really, really appreciated the kind of detail that she she was willing to go into and the, the depth that we went into on the chat. And, you know, then going into how she's turned around, you know, that fourth place from the, the Tokyo Games, a disappointing result for sure, into an incredible season in uh, 2022. Um, you know, coming away, being uh, becoming world champion 2022, really, really incredible stuff. Yeah, and um, just besides that, she's also, you know, she's been in, uh, competed in the boat race a couple of times and she won it this year in 2022 and rode with Grace Pentecost from the New Zealand women's pair, which I thought was, was quite interesting. And, you know, she's got quite a competitive background. She, she competed quite... Uh, 
um, successfully in the, the lightweight women's single. And then there seems to be quite a lot of selection going on for her to get into the lightweight women's double. So that's we'll get into more of that in the chat just to give you guys a bit of context on, on the athlete she is. But besides that, just a, a huge shout out to our Patreons for supporting the show. It's been amazing for for you guys to, you know, just bring us um, the ability to continue putting out episodes and uh, really the life, the life, uh, the heartbeat of the show. And everyone else there, go and uh, support us on online. Tell someone about it and uh, yeah, engage with us if you want as well on Instagram, send us an email. And I even think you can contact us on WhatsApp. But yeah, I think besides that, Lawrence, there's, there's not much else to say. My number's out there. You can just give me a call. Tell me exactly <laughs> what you think of Jake. It's okay. I'll pass the message yeah, on. Um, on our on our patrons jake though it was so i find like during the rowing season it's incredible because we have the whatsapp group where everyone is chatting with each other we're really digging into some of the like real specifics about people's performances and you know we're getting the inside scoop on a lot of athletes you know if someone's missing or you know there's someone a little bit uh that we're unsure about uh happening down the down the track there's always someone on the group that just is able to to give us um that little bit extra context and detail which i find absolutely incredible and then when we're not in racing season we're not talking about the racing you know then there's uh, the patrons are adding questions to for us to ask the, the 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 guests on the show and then some of them are even coming in and listening live to the recording so um i think the the patreon group is has just really been an incredible thing to for us to to do and i think if you if you want to support the show that is such a good way i feel like you're really getting a lot back and yeah we appreciate it a huge amount so i think besides that enjoy the show um a big thanks to to imogen for her time and i think you guys will really guys and girls will really enjoy what we what we have in store for you today Cool. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Row Show. And today we are joined by a recent world champion, Imogen Grant from Great Britain. Welcome to the show, Imogen. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Yeah, no, it's awesome. You know, it's awesome to, to have another lightweight row on and, of course, another athlete from Great Britain. And, yeah, we've got quite a lot to cover. You've had quite an uh, eventful number of years recently and... and Definitely, this this last season was a, a big one for you, coming away with the the gold at the World Champs in um, in the Czech Republic. But just to start, I want us to just bring back to when you kind of started getting involved in the lightweight double back in 2019. Um, it was it was quite a big year from you, uh, just getting involved into the Olympic boat class. That's always, I feel like, the ultimate step up from athletes is going from under 10, 23 levels and uh, maybe non non-olympic event boat classes to step into you know olympic boat class and you know the lightweight double that's the that's probably the biggest one to step into so just starting off you know the what was the preseason like going into 2019 and you know it seemed quite competitive on the in the gb lightweight program so you know what was the outlook going into 2019 and i'm sure for you getting your your spot in the the top boat must have been um you know, must have been the goal. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a, a crazy season. Um, so we ended the season with a world champs bronze. Um, and I had no idea that we'd even won bronze crossing the line. It was my like, 
beyond my wildest dreams of what that season could have really shaped up to be. Um, it was my first season um, as a full-time rower. So I learned to row at uni and did my first four years of my medical degree. Um, I kind of rowed alongside that and got involved in the boat race and then got involved in under 23s um, and kind of knew that I wanted to kind of take that further, but also had a lot of commitments from my studies. Um, so I guess the 2019 season kind of really started it at the like April trials, like the final trials in 2018, kind of prepping for the 2018 season. Um, I just won the boat race. I got into my single. I was really not very good at single sculling, um, kind of coming into the 2018 season, but managed to come third internally at the GB trials there, um, which was definitely my best performance in a single up till that point. And at that point, my coach kind of said to me after that racing, when I was kind of preparing for the under 23s of that year in the single myself, he was like, you know, the Olympics are in two years time. They're in 2020. It's probably the last Olympics with lightweight rowing in it. If you want to give this a go, you need to give it a go this year. Like if you want to give it a chance, you have to do it now. Um, and I took a few weeks to mull that over um, and yeah, kind of took the step to pause my medical studies, moved to Henley, which is near the training center and um, row full time for that 2018, 19 season then um, for the 2020 season as well. Um, so coming into that season, I'd won under 23s. I was under 23 world champion in the lightweight single and then had also gone on to win a bronze medal in the lightweight single at the senior worlds like four weeks later. Um, so I was quite good at the single sculling. So the winter went quite well. It was my first time on a full-time training program, kind of the first time that I hadn't really got as much studying to do. Um, I PB'd, uh, PB'd on my 2K, PB'd on my 5K. And then when it rolled around to that same time of year, that April 2019, this time of year on, um, I won the internal GB trials in the single. Um, and so kind of the way that we start doing it is, you know, put put if you've got two really fast people in a single so first and second from the internal trials for the lightweight singles put them together in a double so um i got to race in the lightweight double for the first time at europeans in 2019 and we came fourth and that was really exciting and i was like okay cool this is gonna go really well um but one of the top lightweights had been out with injury for a decent amount of the season she'd had an operation um, earlier that year and had missed the April trials. So I hadn't raced her directly. Um, and she was coming back in when the World Cup season was starting. Um, so we had, rather than just me and my doubles partner in that double racing at Europeans at the World Cup, we voted two doubles. Um, and we came seventh and eighth, which when you've got four lightweights, isn't exactly what you want to happen. <laughs> Um, we did some seat racing after that point and I was seat raced out the double at that point. So between World Cup 2 and World Cup 3, I got booted out of the double back into my single with eight days pre to prepare mm. for World Cup 3, um, which having thought, okay, I've come in, I'm in the double, this is really exciting. Okay, the, my first like senior season's going to plan was kind of a bit of a disappointment to me, but I kind of turned around and went, right, well... I'll just win World Cup free then in the single. So I, I did that, which um, wasn't necessarily a given, but uh, I won that in Rotterdam in 8.43. 
it's pretty much the slowest time uh, I think a light racing was ever won in. Uh, it was like yeah, actually, yeah, that's slow. Yeah, I remember that <laughs> yeah. at World Cup. It was it was quite a it was quite a World Cup to watch. Obviously, uh, we 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 didn't go oh, over God. there. It, it was, was quite insane. a bit of drama, especially with the. I remember the the heats. They were done via time trial system. I'm not quite sure if, if you had to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I had to watch. race time trial style, um, and then yeah, like the final, it was like so windy. We were all sitting on the start, like for the A final, and our, in our like little lightweight singles, like tiny boats, like waves just like coming over the bows, going, "Okay, I guess we're gonna have to race in this." <laughs> um, yeah. It was bonkers. Like I really enjoyed it. You know, I've come from a background of doing the boat race where we go out in any anything because the boat race runs in anything um so i was like all righty here we go um and yeah I, I won in world cup three but that meant i was probably going to race the lightweight single at the world championships in 2019 um and still not really get another look in for the double that selection had kind of been done um but my mm. luck really came that year um unfortunately from someone else's bad luck really um the day that we flew out to training camp um, for our prep for the world champs so six weeks before worlds um one of the girls in the double didn't come because she had a rib stress fracture and oh, given I that to... i was in the room you know kind of next ranks um first day of training camp here i am geared up to race in my single at the world champs prep for the last six weeks not where i wanted to be but kind of <laughs> wanting to make the most of it um yeah i, I got sat down and told um here in the double you've got six weeks you better qualify the boat off you go um and <laughs> somehow after those six weeks we came away with a bronze medal um and that's the combination um that i raced with in 2021 as well with you know my doubles partner emily craig so that was us in 2019 at the olympics and then this year at the world champs as well that's awesome it's it's quite cool to the best part is to like go through. So like, obviously we've been looking at your results and we've been going through and chatting with, uh, with each other. And then, you know, we were mm. discussing this exact sequence. We were like, well, you finished, you know, uh, uh, seventh and eighth in that world cup two. Then you wrote the single, then you were back in the double with, um, uh, Emily Craig. And now, and we are just trying to piece together, like, how did that all go down? How did that, um, that kind of selection happened so obviously it was quite a, a rocky road for you and obviously and you committed quite a lot that year to you know try and make that double try and get into the the national the, the like that olympic boat class and then obviously having the stars align at the end of the year must have been quite a i don't know not a it must have been quite an, a, an emotional ride and then also to just finally get it right was must be quite special and then to stand on the podium oh it was it was incredible um I think a lot of the time when you've been in sport for a long time, um, you have like expectations on yourself, uh, right? So even if you meet those expectations, there isn't that kind of sense of that happiness. It's more of like a satisfaction. Mm. You know, a lot of athletes kind of talk about that. Um, but that that bronze medal was just just joy, just like sheer disbelief and joy, and just like oh my goodness, we we got a medal. Um, at the start of that six weeks in the in the lead up to that world champs um we were working together really closely me emily and, and darren um and maddie our spare who then raced the lightweight single that year instead um you know he kind of sat us down at the start of that six weeks and said 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to push you hard. It's going to be really tough, but I think we can do it. Um, and I mm. think a big reason that it really paid off is that we all really bought into that and it was really hard and it was really tough. And there were times where I was like, Oh my goodness, are we even going to qualify the boat? <laughs> um, but we kind of came out the other side of that much better athletes. Emily taught me so much about how to row a double. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm just so grateful to have had that experience. Yeah, and just, you know, I just want to chat about the, you know, obviously the, the GB system is centralized, but does the lightweight program operate sort of uh, differently to the the rest of the team? I'm sure it's it's quite, um, it, it, it must be quite a different experience, you know, uh, operating in the lightweight double compared to, you know, some of the other bow classes. Yeah, a little bit. Um, with GB, uh, the lightweight women are part of the women's squad. Um, mm. We train together. We train at the same times. So we go to the same sessions. Um, I think just by virtue of the fact that there's only one boat that people are aiming for, um, you know, selection kind of happens a little bit differently. It's not like if you don't, I don't know, make the eight, then you'll go, you know, your trial for the pair. It's like, well, if you don't make the lightweight yeah. double, that's kind of it. So you're dealing with much smaller numbers. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes we do slightly less volume or we'll adjust the training. Um, cause I think when we're a slightly smaller group, we're also able to personalize that a little bit more. Um, but broadly speaking, we're, we're just training with the rest of the women's squads under the same program. Okay. And then the, let's go back to qualifying. Cause I mean, obviously the, the, the year before the games is that qualifying year and it, as you said, it's so stressful. It's such a big year. What is it like going through the, because obviously you qualified in the semifinal, getting straight into the into the A final. Was that, I mean, that must have been a huge, just a huge moment, I think, for you, especially not having, you know, having committed to try and go to Tokyo and then suddenly get that qualification spot. And I would say from my side is like that qualification year is honestly one of the most stressful regattas of the the whole cycle and the whole and every regatta you can go to the qualification regatta is probably the most like anxious out of all of them oh for sure um yeah i mean i think the only regatta that'd be worse is probably the final olympic qualification regatta i can imagine that's pretty pretty intense pretty as well. bad. But yeah um yeah, <laughs> yeah you guys know um yeah uh i think we knew that it was really important to qualify the boat um the lightweight women's double it's top seven that qualify so if you are in the a final you've qualified um and you really really don't want to be in that b final because i think the racing for that b final for that final oh. qualification spot of coming seventh is like literally the most ferocious thing in the entire world um i think the the only memory i really have of that semi-final race is no really nervous going in knowing that we really needed to get this right and like execute but somewhere something like 600 700 meters to go kind of being like oh we're gonna we're gonna do it so we came second in our semi-final um a decent chunk ahead of third and a much more decent chunk ahead of fourth um so we, we were kind of very much safe in that semi spot mm. and yeah like that kind of thought that crossed my mind of oh we're, we're gonna do it it's gonna be okay like you know, we didn't, we didn't have to sprint for it. We didn't have to do that second half of the race. We got enough right in the first half. Um, and my doubles partner, Emily, um, she's wanted to go to the Olympics since she was 12. 
uh, and her celebrations crossing the line for that were it was amazing. Um, and yeah, kind I'm of sure. Everyone in the rowing world knows what it means to win that semi as well. It's kind of almost one of the times where you see people celebrating more in a semi-final than a final. It was really cool. Mm. Yeah, cause, well, I think I think there's so much. You know, there's so much stress about missing out the Olympics at that regatta that you know the winning the being becoming world champion at that regatta is probably not as meaningful as you know as just you know making the Olympic qualification. No matter how fast you are, you know, even if you're a favorite, I think still making that qualification is like it's a huge tick in the like, okay, I'm doing the right thing, I'm training well, things are on yeah. track. You know, I've poured, you know, you've put in effort and time into your training career to go to the olympics and if you miss it at the qualification you kind of i feel you would be left quite uh you know that that's when you you kind of i would say feel the most uh missed out yeah and the um the crew that won the b final in 2019 was italy and they won the olympics yeah. you know they they managed the to olympic race for champions. that seventh place and then became olympic champions from it but that's the best part about lightweights, though, because that happens because there's not a lot in it. And I mean, we've been huge fans of the the lightweight women's double, especially the the Tokyo Olympic cycle was just unbelievable. The the racing and the competition, and then you know, like we our lightweight um, four from in 2012, they came 11th in uh, 2011, just making the last qualification spot, and then also went on to win. So it's not uncommon for lightweights because I think that the the gaps between people are, are so small and there's no, as you said, there's nowhere else for people to go. So no one can go back and, oh, you know, I'm not going to make the double. I'll go in the single. It's, it's do or die, like right from the beginning, right from selection. Yeah. And I think one of the things that does make it most exciting is that ferocity, right? Like in sweep, yeah. you might have your best athletes split over three events, same in sculling, but all of the best athletes are in those lightweight doubles and they're all racing each other directly. And I think that's what makes it so competitive and so ferocious. Um, and I think I can't quite remember the exact stat, but if you look at kind of winning streaks in lightweight doubles, it's not very many races, like holding your form, but mm. it's, it's hard, you know, I, it might be four, four or five regattas at, a, at maximum. Um, and then, you know, they you're not able to maintain that form. Someone else comes along and and takes it off you. Yeah, and even the heats and semis, they also like up and down quite a lot. You know, there's not you know even looking at your results. You know, it's when you on a good streak, even some of your heats and things you you under pressure. So it's it's I yeah. don't know. The lightweight rowing is incredible to watch. Mm. Yeah, For it's sure. a cool sport. I don't know. I don't know if it feels <laughs> if it feels cool when you in there when you're racing and it's and it's super super tight, but it's uh, it's at least uh, entertaining from outside. <laughs> yeah, it's entertaining for people to watch. Uh, I don't know if it's quite so fun when it's close. I mean, I'd rather just win by ten seconds, you know. But you yeah. don't yeah, always that's get that. Definitely the best way. <laughs> it's the best way to do it, and you know, I j uh, one thing that's always fascinated me uh, with lightweight rowing is. With the, the training dynamic, obviously you've got the, the weight element that you have to manage and it's it's different from athlete to athlete. But chat to us a bit about how, how do you organize and manage your training knowing that you have to be um you have to uh you know monitor your weight and, and how does that change throughout the season? Because it's obviously not easy, 
when you want to train to be the best athlete you can be, but then it's almost uh, working as opposed to that. You're actually cutting your weight down, which many times can get in the way of going faster. So I've always been fascinated with how lightweights manage that dynamic. And thankfully, I've never had to worry about that. But you can can you give us a little bit of insight into how you know how you get a, get around tra- uh, training as as well as you can and still staying on top of your weight? Yeah, I mean, I think I I get quite a lot of questions uh, similar to this um, because I've rode in open weight boats and I've rode in lightweight boats. I've kind of done a bit of both um, Mm. with racing the boat race and then racing lightweight internationally. I think I always say like lightweight rowing is still rowing at the end of the day. It's still about trying to make a boat go fast. It's trying to train well. It's trying to recover well. And all of those things are the same Um, with lightweight rowing. You just have one one extra job um which is stepping on a scale two hours before your race and making sure the scale says the right number um obviously Mm. it's more complicated than that uh and sometimes it is a bit tricky when you're trying to balance training volume and if you are trying to come down to weight like if you are having to be in a bit of a calorie deficit how that might affect your recovery and and things like that um for me i i am naturally fairly close to weight um i make sure that i sit a bit heavier in the winter probably like 61 kilos um but i wouldn't be going much above that um and then in the summer you know my goal is to weigh 57 kilos for as little time as possible hopefully the 10 minutes before i step on the scales and and that's it um and you know i think this year i can probably count on both hands the number of days that i've i've been 57 point something kilos and i think that's quite healthy um Mm. sometimes we do slightly less volume just because um especially if we're coming down to weight we have less fat mass and so the risk of injury is a little bit higher um but in the winter i try and make sure that i sit a bit heavier for insulation for injury prevention for being able to do that a little bit more volume get fitter get stronger um without kind of walking that that fine line um yeah but yeah i think if weighing in should never be like the biggest thing in your mind on race day um i think that's what i say to lightweights if it's becoming more important than winning the race then maybe it's not for you or maybe you need to kind of figure out how to do it in a different way um because it can be stressful at times but ultimately like you're there to win a race you're not there to weigh a certain weight yeah yeah that's a very good way of looking at it yeah i don't know if you have um experience with the training with lightweights or things like that um but i find uh rowing with heavyweights has always helped me um i think push myself i think i have a bit of a napoleon complex you know try and beat the people that are bigger than me and be like yeah take that power to weight all the way (laughs) (laughs) no we've got lots of experience uh training with lightweights like lawrence alluded to earlier you know, back in 2012, uh, you know, when I joined the the team, it was there was a humongous team of lightweights. So there was a lot of uh, you know you had to um, the the gap between a lightweight and a heavyweight row is a, is a lot closer than what people think. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, many a time I've got my I took a big L to plenty of lightweights, but I think it's you know it's part of the game, and it's again it comes down to that competitive element. I always feel in sports and, and performance, you know, the more competitive you can make it, as long as it's a you know constructive, you typically will uh, 
bring out the best results from that competition. For sure. Mm. I don't think I ever lost to any lightweights, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a lie, Lawrence. <laughs> I've seen it happen many times. Yeah. No, we because our team is small and we, we had a lot of good lightweights, so we always trained, you know, um, neck and neck with them. And a lot of, especially for, for us in 2016, we had uh, John and James in the lightweight men's double, and they were that little bit faster than us in the men's pairs. So we had to, yeah. oh, we had to really, and it was, you know, the, the competition between us was amazing. And they were really fast at like steady. And then also at the, in the, in the shorter events, the sprinting and stuff. So we really had to put it down to even get close to them. Actually the closest, I think time wise that we ever did get to them was 2k racing, I think was where we were the, the closest. Yeah, but we did. Um, we do quite a lot of training with our pairs and openweight doubles as well. It's it's yeah. just nice to get that side by side, isn't it? With people that yeah. you're not directly <laughs> competing with. Definitely, 100%. and uh, I think it just gives that element to the that like racing simulation into your into your training that like you know and that competitiveness that you need. I think it's I think it's very hard to train in isolation when you. If you you know you're in a crew boat and you're trying to simulate racing, it's really hard to do without someone really right there pushing you. Yeah. Um. So, moving on, we've obviously you know 2020 wasn't the year it was supposed to be, and uh, we all had to deal with the 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 pandemic as it hit us. And uh, obviously, with you, it's it's a bit different because you're um, a doctor in in training and. I'm just interested to know about what that's what that year was like for you, and was there any sort of different implication because you were studying medicine? Yeah, gosh, it was a weird year. Um, we got we had basically done our internal trials, those same ones that happen around April, um, mm. and I like vividly remember when we were all like we all got gathered together, sat out outside on the steps, and basically got read a list of names of people who were selected for an Olympics, which, you know, got cancelled two weeks later um, at, and got told, take some weights, take an erg, go home. We'll see you when we see you. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I trained out of a living room for 16 weeks. Um, oh, four people oh, in wow. a two-bedroom house, three of whom uh, were full-time rowers. So our living room, we put the sofa up on its side in the corner so then we had um, a squat rack, a C2, an RP3, and a turbo all <laughs> in the same room so that we could get our training done. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Um, but for me, I think as a medical student, um, I, I was taking some time out. So I didn't have to um, you know, go, go into the hospitals or kind of be a doctor because I wasn't qualified yet. Um, but the people that I had been in the same year with at medical school, um, they were really close to graduating when the pandemic hit. So what the UK did was graduate everybody early, basically from that year. Mm. So all of my friends, their first experience of being paid real doctors was literally all on the COVID wards, like over that first wave of the pandemic where everyone was scared. Um, so hearing their experiences while I was you know, stuck inside on an erg in this like roasting first floor living room that, got the sun like all day long 
it was it was crazy thinking that like that could have been me as well and I felt so lucky to kind of be a full-time athlete and still have my job and still be healthy you know during that kind of training but um yeah it was a really weird time it feels like it passed really quickly now because every single day was the same yeah that's exactly how it feels and it's so crazy to think back like we also i spent six weeks inside my house i didn't leave it's so insane to think about that (laughs) like (laughs) like i can't even imagine that now i remember going to the supermarkets and like taking pictures of the empty shelves saying like there is no food to buy there's 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 none on the shelves like we can't buy it because it's not there because everyone else has bought it yeah it was it was crazy yeah it was a it was an interesting experience i was i was i was quite fortunate in that time because i um my family are are farmers in the in south africa so i came back to the the farm during that period so i definitely got the um the probably one of the better outcomes that i think most people across the world got because i wasn't restricted to a living room or a house for for that period (laughs) yeah yeah the but also i i mean you must be it must be quite lucky actually for you or or nice that you had you know roommates and you were training all together i think that environment must have been you know i was i was on my own me and my wife were training uh together and we were trying to do those stupid zoom calls and see the other team the rest of the team training but um I did not enjoy that at all. And I think if I just had yeah, one, uh, you know, a teammate or, you know, you had someone there just kind of bringing a bit of structure into it, I think it would have been much, much easier. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think the only limit to that was, I think, only two out of three of us could really train at the same time just because of space constraints. Um, mm, yeah. But yeah, it was always good, like, seeing my housemates be like, I'm like, oh, no, they've they've gone to UG. Okay. I probably need to go do weights after this. Like seeing that they were still training, I think definitely helped keep me accountable. Um, Cause I know like some people really struggled to kind of without that team environment, that team aspect of it, like either with motivation or just like not quite having the equipment that we needed either. Um, I think for Emily and I actually, we both did pretty well during lockdown. Um, she PB'd in her kitchen uh on her 2k with her dog like barking at her in the last 200 meters um and i pb'd on my 30 minute in the living room as well so i think we both really kind of we were like okay this is another winter um let's keep each other accountable like keep talking keep making sure we're sharing what we're doing um and i think for us that actually worked really well having a bit more control over our own training and yeah we both came out like really strong and really fit which definitely mm. wasn't a given when we were going into that period. From what I can gather, it seems like there was there was quite a lot of momentum coming from the pandemic with the training that you did going into the the Olympic season. So the, your outlook for the Olympic year must have been quite positive, especially coming away with the you know the bronze at World Champs. You know when you when you get that first medal, especially from your first season uh, training full time, it it must have validated your you know your your decision to go full-time and again obviously it changes your perspective a little bit when you manage to stand on the podium the year before the olympics you got an extra year to prepare basically and going into the olympic year you must have been quite confident in 
what the what the potential could have been for for that season yeah and i think um yeah like the bronze had been kind of just so unexpected and so exciting um but it always had felt kind of like we were scrabbling for time um like we we always needed to be kind of working on stuff um and so we we were quite excited to have had that an extra year i mean there were lots of negatives around it like the stress of dealing with training and training at the training center with covid and the mitigations and when other people weren't allowed to travel and like not seeing family and and all of that other stuff was really really stressful and difficult um but yeah we were really positive about kind of how much stronger we were how much fitter we were um and then kind of trying to transfer that back into the boat because we were off the water for 16 weeks i didn't get to go Mm. rowing for 16 weeks during that first wave of the pandemic um so yeah when we got back it was like all right let's go um let's do some good training let's do some good rowing um so i I think our first race of the season that we did back was the europeans um and gb did really really well in 2021 at the europeans yeah they did fantastically yeah we got a silver um and i think like we were both like annoyed that we didn't win i think Mm. but it was definitely like a, a a fun it was just so nice to be racing again i think everyone was just so excited about racing again um yeah. and kind of trying to make the most of all of those opportunities um but that's yeah. and then we raced at world cup three i think in lucerne um and then it was the olympic games that was all the racing that we did that i year. mean straight away in the europeans getting that silver medal against you know you're racing the Olymp- the soon-to-be uh, olympic champions italy and I think a huge crew that season was the the Dutch combination of Ilse Paulus and Marika Kayser. They seem to have brought a lot of purpose into that boat. So I think it's always a big thing racing against such high caliber crews at uh, these pre- preliminary races going towards the um, towards Olympics. I mean, especially you know even at Europeans, getting to race those two crews, you must have kind of been like uh, moving from like strength to strength you know, then going on to the, the second World Cup and um, coming away with the win. Yeah, it was good. Um, you know, we were talking about it before the Olympics, actually. So our, our first race together in a double had been the World Champs in 2019, where we got mm. bronze. And then the next one that we got to race was in 2021 Europeans, and we got silver. And then the next one was World Cup 3, and we got gold. And I was like, we just have to just keep doing that because it was like we were improving a a place each time that we raced um (laughs) so i was like yeah just just keep doing that i don't quite know what's better than gold i guess maybe it's fourth place but um and then you (laughs) start the cycle again uh Mm. but yeah uh we were we were really excited about it um the the silver europeans i think we were a little frustrated we weren't quite able to get gold um and then we did some really good learning um in the world cup that we raced we didn't win the race for lanes um and then we did win in, in the final um and i think that was a really good learning experience for us so we definitely had a lot of confidence um like kind of coming into the olympic um, games the fourth place is always a really it's a really tough result to to digest and it's actually it's cool to be chatting to you now because we recently did an episode where we looked at the the, the best sprint finishes of all time 
and made a top five and uh your your race in in tokyo was 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 in the top five and i think what a what an experience and obviously for you going into the olympics with the format you guys have had you you know the the gold medal spot was definitely i'm sure one of the 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 big objective for you at the olympic regatta so chat to us about what the experience was like getting there settling down and you know getting on the water and and starting to race you know getting through the heat getting through the semi it must have been you know for your first olympics it must be one hell of an experience yeah it was bizarre i think i mean it it was amazing don't get me wrong um Mm. but you know there were no spectators and covid tests like at least once a day if not more than (laughs) once a day and getting really stressed what if someone tests positive like not being able to see our friends and family, um, not being able to see Tokyo. Like there were a lot of things that we kind of had to sacrifice in order to race. Mm. And it was absolutely like the right payoff. I'm so glad that they were able to just make sure that the athletes could race, even if we weren't able to kind of have the rest of the experience. Mm. Um, But yeah, I mean, like being in Tokyo and racing at the Olympics was insane um like it wasn't something that i ever expected at the start of my rowing career and so to be sitting there at the start line of an a final in a center lane was kind of the thing i was telling myself was you know this is exactly where i want to be this is exactly Mm. where i want to be and trying to combat those nerves because i was pretty nervous in the final um but yeah we did our we came second in our heat um which maybe was the first sign that it wasn't going to necessarily go our way in the final, but it was also just such close racing the whole time that maybe that was the reason. Um, but yeah, we were, we were beaten by the Romanians in our heat. Um, and then we won the semi-final that we were in, in a world best time, beating both mm. the French and the Dutch. And then the Italians came down the track 10 minutes later and set a new world best time. Um, and so we knew that it was going to be really, really close racing. Um and yeah, I, I think that final, all six boats in that final, you know, you, you could have run it a hundred times and you'd have different subsets of people on the, on the podium. Um, yeah, the... And ultimately, like, we weren't quite able to do, do it on the, the race that mm. we got. You know, it's, it's all the kind of what, what ifs afterwards that were going through my head. But actually, almost all of the what ifs were, well, what if the wind blew a little bit differently? What if the yeah. waves were slightly different? And like none of that was stuff that we had kind of under our control. Like we did the best race that we could and we were half a second off a gold medal. Yeah, I must say, I mean, you say that even if you raced race the race, uh, if you raced the last 500, 400 meters, it would be different every time. It is so, oh it's honestly one of the most brutal races just to watch. I think it's, it's emotional yeah. to watch it as a spectator. So I can only imagine what it was like being, uh, being in that, in that boat and, you know, just how how close it is. <laughs> it was yeah. really painful. And how close it was between everyone. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, um, like, I knew that we hadn't won when we crossed the line. Um, but I also knew that wherever we'd come, it was close. Um, and obviously, I, I didn't know that the Dutch had been so, well, so far ahead, a little bit further ahead, and then caught that, like, boat stopper just before the line. Mm. Um, but I saw that kind of first and second came up really quickly on the board that they have. Um, but it was taking them ages to put up this third place. And I was like, 
maybe it's us maybe it's not us yeah um i don't know um but yeah when it came up with the netherlands instead i was like oh okay i guess that's it then mm. you know you just paddle into the pontoon and put the boat away and that's it it was it was a really weird feeling yeah it must have been it must have been a weird feeling but i mean what what a uh, an experience to be part of and i think for me looking at the tokyo olympics i, I would have to say the lightweight double must have been the the event of the of the regatta because not only was the that final so ridiculously close and that was within a regatta that had one of the most ridiculous racing across all olympic regattas but you know just the the world's best time getting broken multiple times in the same regatta and getting smashed from you know i can't remember what it was before like a six i think a 648 down to you know a 641 yeah. i mean that's ridiculous like i think the whole the whole event across that Olympic regatta was was something special to watch, and I don't know, maybe you've got some thoughts on that uh, that new world's best time because it was funny. Obviously, on the on the podcast, we do a lot of we after every World Cup, we do a bit of analysis on the racing times, and we had seen over the last couple of years that the lighty double keeps getting really, really, really close to their to their final, and as I mean, to their world's best time, it was the only yeah. event getting within a second two seconds constantly so i wasn't surprised to see the the record go but to go by such a big margin i mean that's crazy yeah i mean the conditions are so fast um that semi-final day um but yeah i think it had been a, a little bit of time coming um you know when as rowers we use gmts quite a lot like the gold medal times yeah. and do like training percents off those and um you know, I think every nation sets their GMTs slightly differently, but I'd say most of them were, you know, within two seconds or two seconds faster than the world best, approximately, yeah. something like that. It varied a little bit. Um, but yeah, before Tokyo, like you then had the lightweight doubles GMT and it was like six seconds faster than the world best. Because um, I think the coaches had kind of been like, yeah, this uh, this this record's going to fall and we need to make sure that we're, we're kind of pushing pushing past that i guess um but yeah for this olympiad the the gmt's changed um and so we've got to make sure that we're still kind of living up to those uh percents and, and speeds and stuff um but yeah i think i i don't know whether it's uh i'm right or not but i know that the world best in the open weight women's double i think is 637 um but i think the second fastest time ever rode in the open weight women's double is like slower than 640 and when you consider the lightweight women's double world best like i think it was something like four crews broke the previous one in those semi-finals and they were yeah. all like 641 642 you know it's it's quite close <laughs> in time and speed yeah i mean it's it I, I it just makes you think that the the powers that be are making the wrong decision that the paris is going to be the last time you're going to see lightweight rowing i just cannot i cannot believe that that's that's the decision they're going to make when you have racing like uh you, you see in like that's a perfect example it's just the, the close racing and the ridiculous you know the ridiculous competition you see yeah and you know maybe we'll just go open weight <laughs> yeah why not uh, it seems pretty cut and dried <laughs> at this point you know but uh uh yeah it's, it's obviously really sad that it's um going but i'm trying to focus more on the like exciting yes. extra opportunities i'm trying to imagine me but like stacked with muscle 
I'm thinking about how fast. Yeah, we well, you then. just said that you you <laughs> if you take in the you know the gaps between the the gold medal times and the others in the heavyweight double, then you probably you know you might be even up there with your um 41. It's not even that far. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> okay, so I want to I want to move on from uh Tokyo because obviously you came back from Tokyo. You had your the fourth place that obviously you know, it wasn't the, the result you were looking for and the result you wanted. And now it really seems like you've turned kind of things around a little bit more. Or, you know, you've made that next step up going into the, the 2022 season. And I just want you to like, what is the transition between coming back from Tokyo and then starting this, this season like? Um, well, for me, it was quite quick uh, because I think I had... Um, it was something like a week after I got back from Tokyo that my course started again. Um, so I was like back at medical school like a week after Tokyo. Um, but I also raced Honey Royal. So it was kind of this like, got to keep going, got to keep that momentum because mm. I've got people relying on me to like do other stuff. Um, but yeah, I think there was a lot of kind of introspection after the results of Tokyo there were plenty of people that read that wrote um, articles about it, um, and everyone loves to to pile on and tear things apart when uh, you don't quite get the performances that you want. Um, but I think for me personally, I I was really proud of what we did in Tokyo. Um, you know, I think dealing with COVID, dealing with everything that happened, was really hard, and we still got to the start line when other people didn't, and we still mm. stayed happy when other people did it and we still supported each other and we still put together a race that I'm really proud of as well. Um, mm. And kind of holding on to that, I think brought me a lot of comfort when you have those late nights and you're lying in bed thinking, God, if we just like literally gone one inch faster, I'd be sitting here with a medal right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think a little bit of time to process. I had to um, adjust back to studying at Cambridge as well, not being at the national training center um but i definitely was like okay i know what it's like to not get a medal uh i would like to get a medal now so what am i gonna do to to put that in place um and i think once you've i guess failed failed's not quite the right word but once you've experienced one side of it it stops being as scary mm. like i went to the olympics and i didn't get a medal and yeah. i'm still here so kind of losing that fear um i think has been like really empowering as well um and i've really enjoyed all the training that i did um last year you know doing the doing the boat race was insane um you know i really enjoyed racing my single racing at Hemi royal again was amazing and then um racing europeans and worlds this past year um in the double again was incredible and what's even better is I, I passed my fifth year medical school exams as well. So I didn't have to retake them. Um, so it was a good year. Around, that is really. pretty amazing. The, I just have something on the, on one of the things that you said, cause you said um, about how, you know, everyone's writing these things and they don't really understand. And I think that's such a key element to kind of uh, highlight and, and identify with is that, you know, as an athlete, you only have you know a handful of good results there's not many athletes that have a you know a string like uh, Hamish and and Eric or you know the um Grace and Kerry where they've just 
one continuously. There's there's not many athletes at all out there, and most athletes, nearly every single athlete that we chat to on the on the show has a difficult time and a and a tough you know a, a string of of tough results that they've had to kind of mentally process to get back into the into the game and and get back training and and kind of believing in themselves so i think that's such an important aspect to kind of understand as an athlete is that it doesn't always go the way you want it to go but you have to kind of turn it into a positive experience to move on and to to look for the the mm. results going forward i really like that the way you you put that yeah for sure for sure and i think as well like you know i think probably some of the criticisms were true and you know there were probably things we could have done better and there's been a lot of changes you know this last year in terms of personnel a lot of people have left a lot of new people have been hired um and i do think the building looks different this year and amazingly we've come away with some fantastic results from the world champs um but i think when people were really kind of railing on it last year and really being very critical of british rowing internally i was feeling very defensive about it because i'm like well Mm. even if it's bad it's still the only club that i've got (laughs) you know i can't just up sticks and go row for someone else like what's the point of kind of criticizing it when it's the only thing you've got it's the only place that i can you know try and train and try and win so i might as well try and make it better from from the inside rather than focusing on the negatives Mm. and you know uh, Imogen coming into this year it must have been I mean there was quite a lot of criticism on the the GB team in Tokyo and it must have been a fantastic season this season because you know GB rowing has had a f- an absolutely phenomenal um, you know season in rowing and across the board you're seeing uh, successes in d- both disciplines men and women so it must this shows it's it, it's must have been a, a great uh, a great season of rowing just to be part of a two team especially in the new structure um and yeah i mean share a bit of insight into yeah. uh, what the you know what the change and what was it, what it, what it's been like changing changing that around yeah i mean i think um for me this year has been really different because i was also back at cambridge um for most of the year so I only rejoined the team kind of training full-time in June um uh, up until that point I was basically training in Cambridge the whole time because I had uh medical placements and things like that that you know Mm. I just can't get down to near Reading for um so a lot of the year for me was actually kind of seeing all of these changes happening but actually not really being for it on the ground and seeing it all happen far away and going oh I guess things are changing and maybe it's moving on without me while I'm here doing the stuff that I need to do um and yeah like coming in but in back in June you know when I when I was able to over the summer uh yeah it was really apparent to me that a lot of things had changed and the way that people wanted to approach stuff was different and there was a lot of momentum from that point um because by the time I rejoined um the rest of the team had raced at the first world cup of the season i was sitting my exams uh so i wasn't able to go which i was really sad about i had the Mm. worst fomo um but yeah like everyone had come back with a medal um so kind of the positive momentum was really there by the time i rejoined so Mm. i want to just go because we touched you touched on you know being part of cambridge and racing the boat race you showed us your your awe that you you've got now with your your crew and 
what was it like um you know obviously racing in the in the eight and you know such a different event to the lightweight double and then also what is it like racing with um grace uh pendergast from the the new zealand crew i'm sure she shared some tricks with you and that's where your all your your good performances this year coming from (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) i mean so i wasn't I wasn't going to do another boat race. Um, you know, I, I knew that I had to finish my medical degree and I also knew that I needed to skull to kind of keep that training going for GB. Um, and, you know, in August of 2021, when I was like coming back to Cambridge, coming back to the my degree, I was like, oh, I, I just can't, I can't do another boat race. I don't have, like, I don't have the time. I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can kind of commit um, enough and kind of, it would be disrespectful to do it half-heartedly, you know? Um, but then I heard Grace was coming and I heard that Ruby was coming and I was like, oh no, it would be really cool to row with them. Um, and so little by little, I kind of got reeled back in. Um, mm. So I was doing quite a lot of independent training initially, um, partly because we just got back from the Olympic Games and needed a bit of time off. And uh, the season for CBC at Cambridge starts in September. And I definitely wasn't really ready to kind of train full time um, at that point yet. Um, But I raced horse head with them uh, and that was pretty fun. And kind of from January, things really started ramping up. Um, I rode sweep again for the first time in like three years, (laughs) which was so weird because when I first learned to row, I learned to sweep first. Mm. Um, so I kind of basically only did sweep rowing for like my first year, I guess, of rowing. Um, and it was only when I realized that I wanted to trial for the under 23 team that I was like, oh shit, I'm a lightweight. I need to know how to skull. So I had to teach myself to skull afterwards. Um, but then I'd just been sculling for like three years. So I had to get back in a boat with one oar and be like, how do we do this again? Um, but honestly, it was kind of amazing to me how much I think I learned from being in the eight again. It's such a different way to row, like dealing with nine people in a boat. It's like, oh my God, there's a lot of, a lot of opinions and a lot of people, a lot of different ways of doing things compared to a double one. It's just you and one other person. Um, But even just the technical stuff, like the speed of the pickup in an eight, um, I'd be doing extra sessions in my single. So I'd be literally switching between like an open weight eight and a lightweight single, which is about as different as you can yeah, get. Yeah, I mean, it, it is um, quite a big change. But I actually think, yeah, yeah. But I think I learned a lot about kind of how to connect and how to accelerate kind of doing that switch and having to be really agile with it. Um, and obviously rowing with Grace and, and everyone else in that boat was uh, amazing. I even got to sub in uh, on in some pairs with Grace, which... Uh, it was it was awesome. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> what a what an experience, especially you know. I think not only is it grace, but just the the opportunity to row with rowers from all over the world, and just the different getting a sense of the 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 different styles and the different outlooks yeah. from you know because rowing is, is such a you know it's it's a, it's a global community and, and it, it is very different when you go to different places around the world. So I mean, the fantastic thing about Cambridge is the typically you see quite a, a diverse uh, background of rowers you know it's 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 not uh, it's not uh, foreign to see uh, quite a you know different backgrounds and, and such racing at the the boat race yeah like i i don't really know of any other setup where you'd be able to row with other rowers from other national teams 
you know, mm. I, I've rode with people from the New Zealand national team now. I've rode with people from uh, the US national team as well, um, like just from doing the boat race and kind of hearing about how other national teams do it, the styles, the technique. I think it's so, like, it's great. I think it's really cool to share those ideas and kind mm. of understand how other people do it. Did you do your whole medical degree through Cambridge? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I started my medical degree in 2014, um, and I'm still doing it. That's fine. You still got that's still plenty. Yeah. You still got plenty time, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all know what uh, what doctors have to go through to to on their studies. So I feel like you you haven't. That's only eight oh, years. Not that bad, isn't it? Supposed to what is it? So like generally, if you only study, it's going to be seven, I think, and then you still have to specialize. Yeah, yeah. So, well, in the UK, um, the Cambridge medical degree is six years. Um, other places, it might be five years. Um, so, for me, if I'd done it straight through, I would have been done in six. Instead, I'm going to be done in nine. But then, once you graduate, you also have to do your foundation training, which is like two years of being like you're paid and you're a doctor, but you're still kind of a trainee yeah. doctor for mm. two years. And then you start to specialize. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are lots of people that kind of do it in bits because it does yeah. take a really long time. And then time. where where do no, you want to end? Indeed. What kind of um, doctor do you want to be at the at the end of your whole um, yeah many years of studying? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm really interested in obstetrics and gynecology, um, and I'm also interested in pediatrics. Uh, but at the moment, I'm kind of uh a bit distracted yeah. by rowing if i'm sure. honest uh, at the moment yeah i'm i'm like yeah i'd quite like to row full time <laughs> again rowing full time is much easier than uh doing a degree yeah. <laughs> yeah i must say i've got a lot of respect for the commitment you have to you know balance um doing something like medicine with uh with the rowing because you know rowing is i can't speak to the demands of the of medical training but i know being a rower especially if you want to be the best is it's quite a lot of training and a massive commitment. Um, and just uh, moving on to 2022, and uh, we were talking about breaking records earlier, and what a way to open up your account of the, the season, going to Third World Cup in a single, obviously being a little bit separate from the team, and just getting back in the skull, having a fantastic regatta, winning and breaking, setting a new uh, world's best time in the lightweight single. I mean, it must have been a huge reaffirmation of your abilities as a rower to take you know just be obviously there's the separation from you know studying and stuff and going back into the into the boat and and coming away with the win it must have been quite something special it was cool um i'm not sure i necessarily appreciated it so much at the time um mm. I I really wanted to be raced for the double before that regatta. Like I wanted to kind of come back in and, and be in the double and, and race Lucerne in the double. Um, but that kind of wasn't on the cards. So our coach was like, hey, look, you're in the single. Go go, go to Lucerne in the single and win the single. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll set a world best time then. Um, so I was kind of going into the regatta with that as my as my goal, knowing that if the conditions were fast, I could probably do it. Um, and from January of this year or just before um I'd also I've switched to rowing a Hudson USP and I felt like that was really like I was able to work on some technical stuff um and I mm. felt like that had come on and rowing with race 
in a pair I think had really helped as well so I felt like my sculling was going pretty well um and it just so happened that the like the afternoon um when I had my final um I'd kind of been seeing the same conditions happening each day um so uh for the lightweight single you race once on Friday once on Saturday morning once on Saturday afternoon afternoon um so I'd raced the Friday morning and it hadn't been that fast um but I'd seen that for the people that were going through the repishards it repechages that Friday afternoon that the wind had kind of been picking up in the afternoon but it was a little bit swirly um so it was kind of in the back of my mind of like I did the semi-final Saturday morning and was Mm. like oh it's not very fast but I was kind of like well I might have another chance at this in in the afternoon when the final is um if if the wind does the same thing um as it did the the previous day but like honestly even in the final there were bits where where it felt like a crosswind and I was like having to steer and I was like what is going on um like I had no idea that I'd um broken the world best when I crossed the finish line because I didn't like set my speed coach going or anything I was just racing I probably should have sprinted a bit harder at the end because I was like I just don't want to (laughs) crap well I mean it's I think the the fact that the conditions I would at least being at the the course I didn't think the you know the conditions they were obviously fast but I didn't think they were um particularly quick compared to you know Oh I'm glad you agree you d- that makes me feel even better about my world best <laughs> time. You know what's really funny though so I I won in Lausanne uh in my single um but like earlier in the year I'd raced at our like British University Championships um and I did like I did six events in three days. It was really ridiculous. Um, but I did the lightweight and openweight single, and I didn't win either of them. Jeez, that's that's quite interesting. Who 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 beat you in the in the in the lightweight single? Uh, Liv Bates. So she's one of the under twenty threes. Um, but I'd done. We had to do the eights rep like uh, just before the final. Um, and the start of the eights rep and the start of the lightweight singles final at the university champs were 18 minutes apart so i literally like did the eights rep like got in the car got driven up that's ridiculous (laughs) got in my boat at the start line and then did my race and then did the openweight single one like 40 minutes after that it was like nuts but yeah um like shout out to live Bates and to viro because uh they both they both smashed me this year in the single um and yeah i, I managed to win a new set oh, so the, the toughest <laughs> racing of the season wasn't even at the at the world cups and world champs exactly yeah the the bucks bucks is amazing um and the racing that was like really really tight i think it was a great prep for all the racing i did internationally mm. later on yeah, in the I, year. Oh, there's there's so many good regattas out there though i mean we often often went to race henley just before lucerne because the racing there is so unpredictable it's so intense and you know it always prepares you a little bit better than yeah. you know just the standard uh world ring kind of straightforward racing so it gives you that little bit some of something different yeah i did that as well this year um so i raced henley the week before lucerne and it mm. was awesome um Imogen, I've just got a question here that we we got from one of our Patreons. They uh, they wanted to know about your thoughts on changing to the new comp blade and uh, how 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 did that feel? Because you know, obviously, you raced the you've been racing it with it this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I started testing them in around the same time that mm. I got my Hudson. Uh. So back in January. So. 
I had two different singles on the go and I also had two different sets of blades on the go. So I was literally doing like a loop, changing the blades and then like a loop and then changing the boat. So I tried like all of the different combinations and I definitely kind of came down firmly on the side of like pro the comp blades. Um, yeah, I really like the way that they feel. Um, and I feel like they give me some really good feedback. So um, I'm definitely sold on them uh, and I'm really glad that we switched to using them in the double as well because I think that definitely um, helped with our racing this year too. And what's different about them though? Sorry. Um, so they're a lot, they, they almost look like less circular, yeah. right? Yeah. Compared to a rectangular normal sculling blade. Um, and I think for me, uh, it felt like I was able to get the same grip around the front end without any of the harshness um and so it felt like it was easier for me to do the catch and bury my blades and just be gripped without really having to work for it um and yeah and it just felt really nice through the mid drive and then they kind of i thought that i would really struggle because because they're a bit rounder it's almost like they're taller and i was worried that that bottom edge would clip more on waves or clip more on water and i really didn't find that at all um and yeah i found that they just pop out really mm. nicely at the finish um and yeah i was going pretty fast with them and i was like cool Sold. i'm gonna use these from now on um and yeah really glad that i haven't had to switch back because i'm like really enjoying rowing with them i think they feel really and good and also the the boat change that's that's quite something big i mean the you don't often see athletes changing boats and especially from um you know moving from a felipe into or a uh, empaca into into a hudson what was the what was the i'd i'd the idea behind a change uh, like that? Yeah. Um, so I had the opportunity to test one out. Um, so previously I had a Felipe single. Um, and yeah, I got to test our Hudson single. And what I found was um, a Felipe tends to kind of pitch quite a lot. Like the stern goes up and down quite a lot and the bow goes up mm. and down quite a lot. Um, and I was really trying to work on my front end and it kind of dawned on me that if I'm moving into the front end, but the boat's also tilting, there's like an extra variable that I can't control when I'm trying to put my blades in faster. Cause I tend to wave my blades around at the catch a little bit and I'm quite slow putting them in. Um, so switching to the, the Hudson, I found it just like ran flat. Like it doesn't yeah. have that much pitch. Um, and it was a much better basis for me to work on my front end as a result, because I was like able to adjust, just my body, um, and kind of, yeah, I think, I hope get a better front end. Um, but I also really noticed as a Henny Royal that my Hudson just goes, goes through wash like really nicely. Um, and yeah, I'm, I really, really like it. Um, very, very pro my Hudson. That's actually something I've that. heard about the, the Hudson boats is they, they're actually in the rough water. They, um, from what I've heard from other people, they, t they tend to be quite, uh, smooth when they, when they're in rough water. Then going back to, to world champs, I mean, absolute smooth sailing through the regatta first in the heat, first in the semi, and then taking the gold on finals day. Uh, what a way to to come and start the the short three year Olympic cycle, and what was it like to to get that that gold medal and start the the new Olympic cycle, the Paris Olympic cycle, on a on the best note possible, an unbeaten season as well. 
Oh, I mean, it looks really satisfying. Yeah. Um, other, uh, yeah. other than the university yeah. champs where I got beaten, <laughs> an unbeaten season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. Uh, I, so that was my first um, first senior world champion, first senior world gold, uh, and it was great. It was so satisfying. Um, I knew we were going quite fast, and the results of Europeans, I think, reflected that as well. Um, and I think it also really helped that the majority of our competition are in Europe, um, with the exception of the US. Um, so kind of out of most of the crews, they were the biggest unknown. Um, and I, you know, really wanted to make sure that we kind of executed our race every single time. Um, I mean, it felt great, obviously. Uh, arriving at the regatta, the water was horrible. So, Very so washy. washy um like the the water level in the lake in Richichi, um like it used to be way higher but apparently they have no way of like refilling the lake so just over time it just the the water level gets like lower and lower and lower and lower and lower um so it's kind of like rowing in a ditch and it means that all the wash just like bounces off the walls um and their safety launches were um water skis they didn't really understand that they needed to stay still so as to not create wash um so the training sessions were just horrible like really uncomfortable constantly having to move out the way of crews um and kind of the only times that the rowing felt good was during the races um and i think it was probably one of the best that we did before our semi-final um and i was like yes that's us that's our rhythm that's all we need to do um and kind of from that point just before our semi-final race all the way through to the final itself i was like I think we got this. We just need to do what we need to do and like be really internal about it as well. Um, and yeah, we were just able to kind of put together all the components of the race that we wanted to do on the in the final and just, um, yeah, really kind of stamp our mark on the event yeah. as well. And I mean, what, I mean, the also the, the standing on the podium, it's now that you've you've had some time to think about it, it must have been, an amazing start to the new Olympiad coming away with the, the gold medal um, at the first world champs. And, you know, after such a, a, well, a tough season last season, and obviously it was an, an amazing, amazing race in the final at the Olympics, but going from like that fourth, just missing out on the podium to standing on the top of the podium must have been, you know, a, a great feeling. It was amazing. Um, and yeah, to hear the national anthem as well, uh, I was like, this is really cool. Um, the last time I kind of heard that was back in uh, under 23s. So yeah, to be able to kind of share in that moment, my family traveled out, my boyfriend traveled out, um, had quite a few friends that had come to visit. One of them lived in Berlin and had traveled over and yeah, it was amazing. It was kind of all of those little bits that we couldn't yeah. have at the Olympics because of COVID. Um, I got to have it. In oh, that's awesome. No, it's very cool. And yeah, I mean, standing on the podium is the best. I mean, that's the best. That's what everyone wants. Everyone is, uh, everyone's chasing. And I mean, you guys also looked incredible down the, the racetrack. You know, the, the way you guys were rowing, I think at, at the World Champs was, I mean, that's some of the best rowing that uh, we've watched, I think, ever. And, you know, even some of the, we have a, an awesome group with, with all the, the rowing nerds on it. And, you know, there was a lot of discussion about how well and how smooth uh, the rowing was that you guys were doing down the track. So I think you definitely 
deserved the win there for sure. No, thank you very much. And so that we we have a few questions from our our patrons, from our our top listeners. And you already heard Amos Noon. He came up with uh, asking he wanted to know about the comp blades. They were they were quite a big discussion over world champs because obviously they have kind of they come in quite mm. strong and and everyone that uses them seems to to go a little bit quicker and and be quite fast. So I think that we'll definitely see a lot more of the the comp blades uh in the next coming into the next season. And then uh the next question uh Rebecca Caro and Mike Bryden are asking just about like the the training um strategies and policies kind of what is it like training in the in the GB team and what is it like kind of you know competing for that that seat. I think we kind of touched on it a little bit but maybe you got some some more insight for them. Yeah, I mean what's it like training for the GB team? Um, probably like a lot of national teams, it's a lot of miles. Um, this year, especially, uh, our new head coach, Andrew Randall, um, kind of has brought with him a slightly different training program to what we've had in the past, um, which has definitely meant that there have been weeks this year that I've done the most mileage that I've ever done, which is really exciting. Um, and coupled with that kind of more intensity as well, I feel like it gives me a lot of confidence when I'm doing 2K races because it's only one 2K and that's much easier than some of the training that we're doing. Um, but yeah, it's uh, kind of, we brief at 7.15 in the morning. Um, we go rowing. Training camps in Varese are beautiful and amazing. Um, but then there's quite a lot of <laughs> training early in the morning when it's not light <laughs> and it's cold uh, as well. Uh, but yeah, I I love it. I love rowing so much and being able to do it for GB is. And then does awesome. it change quite a lot from like the Tokyo Olympic cycle to to this uh, this year's uh, training? Did the obviously you had a, so much train change in like personnel? So did the kind of anything major tra- change on your like from your day to day training life? Yeah, I think the format has changed. Um, again, I'm probably not the best person to ask actually about the kind oh, of whole yeah, year because I was only there for a few months. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the Cambridge training program also was pretty great. Uh, really enjoyed that too. Um, training out in Ely for most of the year. Um, I mean, Ely is great because you can literally row for as far as you like one direction before you have to spin rather than pinging up and down on a TK lake. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, Andrew brought with him some, some new ideas, um, not just about the training actually, but also kind of about culture, about psychology, um really approaching it from all angles um and i think you know the results that we got this year definitely reflect a bit of that change um and you know i think there's a lot of trust in that now we've really seen what it can do um and everyone's really on board with supporting each other and getting through the long miles and hard miles over the winter i think i'm interested in in this next one as well as as how does the Henley Henley is obviously such a huge regatta in rowing and obviously in in GB itself it's a massive regatta. So, chat to us about how does the regatta factor in your preparation for the season, um, especially as a lightweight when it comes to racing, and uh, is it something that you definitely target in the season? Uh, for me, it was. Um it was kind of Henley fell in that sort of little bit of transition time once my exams had finished and just before Lucerne. Um, 
a lot of a decent number of the crews were racing Henley Royals, so our women's sweepers went and raced in an eight. Um, and our quad was going to race, but they had to withdraw. Um, uh, the lightweight double uh, didn't choose to race, and um, yeah, I had to push a little bit to race in the single just because you're in a single, it's longer races. Is it the best thing to do before racing at Lucerne like a week after? Um, like it's quite close together in terms of like the racing program, like not much recovery time in between. Um, but I was pretty adamant that I really, really wanted to do it. I really wanted to race. I really wanted to enter. Um, I honestly wasn't expecting to get as far as I would this year because um, I was set to uh, probably meet uh, Magdalena Lobby yeah. um, on like the Thursday, I think. Um, and, you know, expected to get knocked out by that. And if I'd somehow made through made it through that round i'd probably i think i was going to meet emma twig uh on the friday um but they both withdrew <laughs> and suddenly i thought oh my goodness okie dokie uh here we go um and yeah getting to the final of the uh single as a lightweight at Henny royal was was awesome and um yeah i wasn't able to wear any bucket hats during the racing because i was literally so worried that they were going to blow off my head because it was like crazy windy um, but yeah, like hearing people shout your name from the bank at Henley Royal when they're so close, like I think Henley Royal and the boat race are two of the most exciting regattas or races because how close of how big the crowds are and how close the crowds are. And oh man, I want to race it every year. It's so much fun. It's probably the best regatta on the calendar. Like, I mean, that's the one watching it this year I was, you know, that's the one I feel like I missed the most out of all the regattas. It's a very special, special race yeah. to, to be part of sure. Henley, I think. All right. So this brings us to, you know, the end of the, the end of the, the interview. So I'm sure you've, you've listened to the, you know, a couple of episodes, so you know what's coming next. And I think this is a, a fan favorite, the quick fire question. So going into the first one is if you could race, if you could race any bow class at the Olympic Games, what would it be? Probably the single, probably the single, maybe a four. Um, like I think the four is definitely my favorite of the sweep boats, like a sweet Cox's four. Um, but I also really enjoy racing the single. Um, and kind of how gladiatorial that gets. I don't know. I, I don't know. Like yeah, the the single is pretty uh, gladiatorial. But I mean, <laughs> coming from a lightweight double, I don't think it can get more gladiatorial than that. Yeah. Well, I felt like I had to choose a boat class that I wasn't already in. I mean, the lightweight double was pretty great as well. Um. So next question is, if you could choose any three people from any time and anywhere to race in a coxless four or quad, who would your three who would your three crewmates be? Okay. I'm gonna go Emma Twig. Um. Kim Brennan. Sure. Seems really cool. <laughs> uh i'll go at stroke and rate like 40 the whole time yeah and then you know i'd put my doubles partner in i'd put emily at bow i think she'd have a great time sure she she loves going at the bar of a quad just flying i think that would be pretty pretty decent crew as well there'd be no no problems with speed in that in that setup (laughs) they might have problems keeping up with my stroke (laughs) yeah I don't know. They got they got skills. The the people behind you there, they they'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. true. 
is true. And okay, so the next one is what is your favorite rowing race that you find yourself uh, watching over and over? Ooh. Tell you what, I've watched a lot of <laughs> rowing races. They always pop up uh, either on YouTube or when I'm browsing the World Rowing website. So I feel like I've is watched that when you're quite supposed a lot to be studying. Um, <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm studying rowing, go. right? So it's actually, it's, it's helping me with my own yeah, rowing. That's it. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's so hard to think. Um, you know, watching Emma Twig win in Tokyo was pretty incredible, um, especially having come forth the day before and knowing that she'd spent two Olympics coming forth and her hard work yeah. paying off. Watching that was pretty amazing. Um, I also think the uh, the 2000 um, men's pairs race is just <laughs> nuts. Um, like watching the the French just absolutely gun it. Um, the oh goodness, I'm gonna get the year wrong now, but um, there's one of the boat races where um, I want to say I can't remember. This is terrible. Um, but my I I, I want to say it's the Cambridge crew holds on all the way and wins by yeah, about I, it's like 2000 and. 2004 around that time crazy yeah something like that something like that um and i love i love watching a, a close boat race like mm. 1v1 is is kind of incredible as well yep. um but yeah i think in, t in terms of uh my own races i've probably watched back uh the ones where i win more than the ones that i haven't i don't think i've watched back the Tokyo oh, final that, that uh, one's that one's brutal i think then. yeah uh, Oh, I don't. I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. That, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> I, I know what happened. That one that is one. hard from so many elements yeah. to even to watch because even even watching the Dutch is it's brutal to watch them go from oh. you know uh, a canvas yeah. up to to yeah. yeah going slowly but sure okay so the the next question is if you were in charge at World Rowing what would you change. Which was the one that you, which was the question that you said you've been thinking about for a while? I can't, I, so, um, is this the same question as like what you would change at the Yeah, Olympics? I suppose. Yeah. Cause it would be the same. Or yeah. do I have a chance to ask that? The same question. Okay. Okay. So, so here's my grand plan. <laughs> All right. So we get rid of the eight, we get rid of the eight as a normal yeah. event. You know, you only got like seven of them at the Olympic games and for an eight, that's kind of sad because you want really close eights racing. And if only seven countries get to do it, then that's yeah. really sad. So you get rid of the eight and then people can qualify in all of the other boat classes. Um, but any nation that has like seven rowers, they can form an eight. So you, you hold your normal regatta, your normal TK regatta with your four and your quad and your pair and your double and your, and your single. Um, and then the next week, any, any of those nations that has like, seven rowers so you can bring someone else and you can bring a cox um so say if you had like a four a pair and a single then you've got seven rowers so then the next week they all go into an eight um and then you have way more eights because way more nations have yeah. that many rowers and then you do 500 meter sprints races that That's the sounds way. like the the most concise plan i've i've heard in a while yeah <laughs> I, think I like it though and actually it's something I just love I love the idea of like seeing crazy sprints races um 
And also, like, you know, maybe some nations want to target the eight. So they might have qualified the other boats, but actually they're going to focus on the sprints race. Um, or maybe some people, like, maybe you have, like, one nation that only has a quad and a double, but they get to form an eight because they've got six rowers. But they're all scholars, so then they go into the eight and do this, like, you know, how much do they prep doing sweeping beforehand mm. before you do this, like, crazy 500-meter race where everyone's rating 50 yeah. the whole time? <laughs> I, I think, think no, so it cool. would be would be very cool. And I'd really like the idea of countries having, like, you're forcing them to double up into the into the eights. And it's, a, it's kind of already happening a lot, especially on the women's side. There's so much doubling up happening yeah. that... Um, it's almost going that direction already, you know, and for and it would be much easier for people to double up on a shorter race than on a on a full two K. So it's it would kind of yeah. make I don't know, it would definitely make the, the racing quite exciting. But I mean Romania, they are they did it even on the on the men's side at World Champs. So I think that there's definitely a trend. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, just being able to offer more like the possibility of more medals per athlete is I think quite an interesting uh, way to go for for world rowing because you know like swimmers can go go ahead and win you know a whole handful of medals whereas rowing you're only really able to win one medal. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> and the the next the next question on the list is I think one that everyone wants to find out. And I remember I think you put on uh, on your story there was. Uh, <laughs> one yeah. of those question things and, and someone asked about your 2k and yeah. you said you're gonna have to wait for the episode so imagine so already hyping is, up the answer that's hyping it up. really hyping it up <laughs> what is could you imagine if i now just say no <laughs> yeah, you know me. i don't know about that that's that's uh just doing a disservice in the, the recording <laughs> <laughs> so what is your what is your 2k pb so my 2k pb is 659. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Sneaking under seven there. Which is just, just sneaking under seven. Just under seven. Um, but that's, I feel that I did that back in 2019. Um, so I'd quite like a new, another PB yeah. coming around soon. You got that's a good, uh, but yeah, it's cool to got be this, seven. You got at least two years to really give it a proper go. So you can, uh, you can definitely go a little, <laughs> you can sneak a little bit quicker. What's the world record mm. for the lightweight um sugar at the moment? I think. Oh, it's it's monstrous. It's six fifty three point yeah. four, mm. I think. Um, it's one of the girls in the Canadian double that yeah. has it, I think. Um, Jen Casson. Okay, Ursula yeah. Gobra, uh, Gobra from our uh, South Which African like lightweight crazy. double in Rio. She held it at six fifty five for a little bit. Yeah. It's not that many seconds, no, it's right? It's not too it bad. Oh, I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to be <laughs> very easy, but um, it's not going to be. It's it's manageable. I think you could do it. I'm going to pull up the PB ladder. Yeah, I I was, I was, it. I've got it open, and I think um, you know we don't have a lot of 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 uh, lightweight rowers on it, but I can tell you that you're one second behind Zoe McBride. She's a six fifty eight, and then we have Ilsa yeah. Paulus at a six fifty seven. So I think you're in good company. Yeah, so that's an okay. Not too place bad. To and be. then the next closest heavyweight is uh, Janine Gamelin at a six forty seven. Wow. Yeah, that's a bit of a gap, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? But um yeah, I think uh, qu quite competitively <laughs> on the list. Um and then moving on to to our last question, and this is 
one of my favorites is if you had to choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, what would it be and why? Ooh, either cycling, road race, okay. or cross country skiing okay. for the yeah. Winter Olympics. I think cycling is always quite a. Yeah, I do quite a lot of cycling. Yeah. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed skiing before I started rowing. Um, and obviously, downhill skiing is a little bit dangerous. So I tried cross country skiing and also really mm. enjoyed that. Well, um, so you're just a sucker for punishment for another. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i it's, guess so actually i love that question because there's the there's literally two types of people that answer the question there's people that are stick to the the painful sports and want uh more more pain and suffering and then there's others that are going to go in like the furthest direction you know skateboarding or something where it's not um physical at all yeah i guess there's um i guess there's actually two different questions which which sport would I want to do if I could just like automatically yes. be good mm. at it? And there's like which other sport would I do? Yeah. And think like cycling, I'm like I could maybe be okay at cycling, and like cross country skiing as well. I'm like I could maybe be okay, but like if I could choose to be really good at any of them, I think I'd probably choose. But it's also else. but it's also oh, about man. how be so it's hard. about how <laughs> you you interpret the question as well. It's not only you're not yeah. So yeah, yeah. anyway it's just very interesting um uh, the w the the one more question that i had that i that we that we missed out earlier is like what has your off season been like what have you you well you kind of did touch on it that you've been training quite a bit and you're already kind of uh back at it but are you um what what is uh what is your off season like since since being world champion oh well i mean uh i i had uh well, our, our Saturday, our final was on the Saturday. So my off season was probably the Sunday finals. And then I was back at clinical school Jeez, on Monday. That's quick. And then did on. you take a decent break from <laughs> training though? Yeah, I took, I took a little bit of time off before I started going on okay. fun bike rides with friends. And then I'm kind of back to, to kind of ramping okay. things up again now. I'm not very good at taking time off. It's probably one and of my weaknesses. And then, your when does your team? When do you actually go back to like full team training? Uh, so I'm in my final year of medical school now. So um, I'm yeah. back at Cambridge training away okay. from the training center. Um, I think everybody else um goes back this weekend, which is about three weeks after the world mm. champs. Um, and once I've finished my exams, I will rejoin them hopefully in May. Fantastic. Well, um, thanks for thanks for coming on the the podcast, Imogen. It was awesome to have you on, and yeah, I'm great. We we I'm great. We got to chat again. Like I said, it's it's always great to get athletes from GB and, and lightweight rows on. We is definitely that's one uh, that's one area of of rowing that we need to get some more um, some more athletes. But uh, yeah, thanks for giving us your time. Oh, it was lots of fun. I talk about rowing in my spare <laughs> time anyway, so it's nice to talk about it with you. Yeah, guys. we always say that the once you get rows on the show, then rows like talking about rowing, so it's uh, it's very easy to to yeah. Yeah, we never like shut we've up. just done what have we been recording for an hour fifty minutes, no problems, not even like and we there's so many things that we could have touched on and gone yep. uh, deeper into, but yeah, I think thanks for sticking around through all the technical problems and. Thanks for yeah sharing a, a huge chunk of your time. Thank you very much. Cool. So that is a wrap 
for our Imogen Grant episode and what a roller coaster of an episode. What a brilliant athlete and inspiration, I think. So really, really awesome. Jake, what are your big takeaways from uh, from that episode? I think the, the big takeaway here is just, you know, how she spoke about the, the results in, I think, in Tokyo. And, and you could tell by the way she worded and just the, the way she went about it that, you know, it was a disappointing result, but it was, you know, you can get a good idea of how that's propelled her to and her, her partner, Emily Craig, to the season that's happened this year. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I think it was a really good insight into, you know, what it's like as an athlete going and racing these really, really hard races and how to take, you know, take those results and, and really put put them in your, you know, make, make them your strength. So I think that was definitely a highlight for me and just going into the season, which was absolutely phenomenal. I think for me was the, the when she speaks about um, breaking the, the world record in the lightweight woman's single, when she's like going into the regatta, she knows she's, fast enough to break that world record and then you know obviously not sure about the conditions a bit up and down and then obviously the race takes over so she doesn't really think about it much down the track but then uh, ended up getting it which was just so cool so that was for me the one of the coolest topics that we discussed on the show but there were so many i'm gonna have to go back listen to that again uh, dig into to some of the details and yeah maybe hopefully after the um, Paris Olympic Games we can have her back on the show as an Olympic champion or medalist for sure I mean it's definitely you know I think uh, it's definitely a name you got to be watching out for on the the rowing scene and I'm really excited to see how Emily and uh, Imogen go into you know the next couple seasons but Besides that, guys, thanks so much for you know for listening to the show. It's been awesome to be back on and chatting to these uh, chatting to these legends in our sports. And if you want to, you can support us on Instagram. Go follow us there. Get in touch with Lawrence and I. And of course, if you were interested too, you can go and have a look at our Patreon page, where you know we have some extra bonuses for the people that sign up to you know our Patreon. Yeah, and even this episode would have been released uh, that week earlier for the patrons so they would have got it early they also uh, have a chance to listen live to the recordings and they get access to the whatsapp group where they can you can dm jake directly if you want to get the the hot and spicy messages (laughs) (laughs) cool enjoy guys bye silky smooth hey we didn't even we didn't even use any bad language actually you asked us in the beginning. I oh. said shit once. <laughs> well, we'll have to put the, the little PG warning on. But I get it's too easy for me to get into like interview mode, you know, when they're like, you're on the BBC, <laughs> don't swear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Imogen. Yeah. I'm going to stop the recording here.